With great power comes great responsibility. Compromise where you can. Where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right. Even if the whole world is telling you to move. It is your duty to plant yourself like a tree. Look them in the eye and say no. You move. Never step onto the battlefield of ideas unprepared. Before you enter the fray, you need a plan. And there's no better place to get one than right here on Tactics with host Caleb Colquitt. The Situation Room goes live now on News Radio 1440. Good evening, everybody, and happy Festivus. Thank you for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. So if you've been a, show, a fan of the show for a while now, you know we always have a big Festivus special. Get excited. We are doing the Festivus special. We have the uh, the middle pole here. So we have the Festivus pole. It requires no decoration, no tinsel. I find tinsel distracting. So here we go. We're going to go ahead and start. And to introduce our guests for the evening, we actually have three guests for this Festivus. We have Matt Clark, Laura Clark, and my dad. So welcome to the program, guys. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, it's uh, great. So we're going to go ahead and get started the way that we always do with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. So we'll go ahead and go through the airing of grievances. We do this every single year because I got a lot of problems, and I want everybody to know what they are. So we're going to go ahead and get started out. I will do the first one, as always. Uh, I, the thing that gets on my nerves probably the most is impervious ignorance. Now, what I'm talking about here is when you're in a discussion with somebody, it can be about politics, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It can be about religion. It can be about any number of other things. And you know from the onset when you start talking to these people, you'll present facts, you'll present evidence, you will show that they might have something wrong, and it just doesn't matter. The facts are completely immaterial. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse thing is actually a perfect example of that that happened recently. You have Cal Rittenhouse, they'd be like, well, you know, he was a white supremacist. Yeah, but he shot three white guys. Well, that doesn't matter. He's still a white supremacist. O okay, well, I can't help you. When you present evidence and they still just, you know, ignore it, not a whole lot you can do with that. Something that gets on my nerves. So that's my first airing of grievances. Who else? Who wants to go next? I'll go. We All can right. start in order here and go down this. That works for me. This is great for me, the, the uh, grumpy old man segment of the show. Yes. I like this. <laughs> First one I would like to say is the thing that bothered me the most, just in general, and I'm a big picture person, just in general, the weakening of our country, uh, weak in foreign policy, weak in, in our reaction to things, uh, the way that, that our whole government, the whole tenor of our government is what bothers me right now. We appear weak and are weakening as time goes by. So that's that's one thing. So just kind of the neutering of America and, and making us appear as yeah. though we can't stand up to our enemies. That's the thing that gets on your nerves. I don't see many John Waynes in this area anymore. I don't, or they're not held up as... Yeah, we've got Ryan Gosling. That was a yeah, great trade right yeah, there. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that kind of bugs me. So yeah. that's mine. All right, First. Laura. Yeah, you know, mine kind of bleeds into that. My grievance is the lack of toxic masculinity. Now, I know <laughs> that's super weird coming from a woman, but I support toxic masculinity. I think we need more of it because without it, we have a weak nation, a weak society. And frankly, as a mother of a young boy, I personally pledge to make him as 
toxic in masculinity as I can. So you're just gonna like feed him rat poison, or how does that work? I think he's gonna eat nails for breakfast. Eat nails, okay. His favorite Christmas movie will be Die Hard. <laughs> All right, lots of testosterone going on in the Clark household. That's that's mm -hmm. good to hear. What about yours, Matt? And y'all let off with, with with serious stuff. Now I gotta change the order on mine. All right, so my serious one. My bearing of grievance here has got to be on undisciplined Bible studies. I'm getting tired of them. Now, I'm not saying you got to be perfect in order to teach the Bible because there are no perfect teachers. But if you just read a verse and then spend probably about the next 40 minutes going off in the realm of your own opinions on things that aren't even remotely related, that's bad. You're not just failing to teach the Bible, but you're failing to teach people how to think. And that causes long-term problems. So, look, words matter. Context matters. You stick within those couple rules, you're going to be off to a good start. That is good. Yeah, we talk about some hermeneutical loyalty, I guess, would be the way to, to talk about that one. So, yeah, Matt, I totally on board with that. I agree with you. Uh, that's a good one. Probably a, a more spiritual one than I would have come up with just because this is my, my segment where I get to yell at people for fun. So not That's the only spiritual one I have. The rest are just, well, you'll well, see. Welcome to my mostly serious husband. Yeah, my, my, pers <laughs> my personal annoyances are, are really the... This is the one time a year I get to do that because, you know, as a talk show host, I don't get to air my grievances all that often. It's not like I do that for a living. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, okay. So this one's fun because I did not know what Laura's were when I picked this one, but one of them is Laura because, <laughs> no, I'm serious because my next airing of grievances is people who use the word toxic. So, <laughs> that is true. That was that time. yeah, I picked, I picked that out, you know, way before she sent me one, but it annoys me so much because they're like, well, this is toxic and that's toxic. First of all, I dis dislike anyone, and this will be my my only slightly spiritual one. Um, I'm very bothered by the fact that we as Americans and as a culture seem to constantly be driven to invent new ways to avoid saying that something is good or evil. And I kind of see toxic as that. They're like, they don't want to say something is objectively morally wrong or objectively morally right. They want to say, well, this person's just toxic and they have a lot of traits that I don't like. That means that they personally annoy you. And if that's true, say that. But don't try to ascribe some kind of morality to your own personal pet peeves. <laughs> if it bothers you, fine. That's okay. Voice that. I, I've made a living out of talking about things that annoy me. But my point is just the word toxic, it's just a... It's, it's a weak way to try to sound like you're doing something serious. And it, it's that's the thing that bothers me is it's more the way it's used. The only people that should be able to use the word toxic is when you're talking about something that is actually poisonous or playing Pokemon, because, of course, it's attack in, uh, an attack in Pokemon. So if you're doing one of those two things, I'm okay with you using the word toxic. Other than that, don't ever use it again. If, if I never see anyone on social media use it again, I will be perfectly fine with that. All right. I think I think toxic is the genesis of from Pokemon's the problem. Always had a problem with Pokemon anyway. You know, yeah, that. Pokemon did not start no. that. I, in fact, <laughs> I don't think I don't think toxic was even an attack until the third generation. So, out anyway. of my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Dad never Humans played Pokemon. Aren't chemicals? Yeah, they're not. <laughs> you doing a Jordan Peterson impersonation? She is. She is. <laughs> Humans Jordan Peterson. Gogurt tubes. <laughs> Knowing the actual definition of things, that's important. Yeah, use words correctly. That's mm -hmm. what that's what we should because when I hear someone's toxic, I'm like, what what are they like boiling up poison in their basement? Like, yeah. Using words that don't go together like soft commitment in this recruiting thing right now. It's a soft verbal. What the heck is that? 
<laughs> I can use them. Anyway, uh, can I do mine next? Yeah, we'll go, go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grievance that our citizens are bowing to the government demands. Masks, vaccines, staying at home, not going places. That isn't American. We're militant. Yeah. Uh, liberals used to be militant. They were the most militant people. What if you just like staying home? Well, actually, yeah, well, that's okay. But you know <laughs> what I mean. You don't go to a ball game or don't go to a concert. You're scared oh, yeah. to death to go go shopping or well, not to steal your thunder, but I would argue that liberals are still the most militant. It's just they're militant on very specific things. Mm -hmm. Very bad to go outside. You're endangering grandma if you do. Well, unless of course you're protesting for Black Lives Matter, and then of course it's perfectly acceptable. That's yeah, yeah, totally Go to Floyd funeral. That's right. okay. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, then that's you good. can have 10,000 people standing shoulder yeah. to shoulder, and it's perfectly fine. Because as we know, COVID is the wokest virus that has ever been invented, it's, mm -hmm. it's and it knows good. not to affect liberal events. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's mine, uh, bowing to the government. All right, Laura. Okay. Laura doesn't remember hers. Okay. <laughs> people who don't correctly use drinkware. Now, I'm just saying, if you find somebody who's taken a mug and they use that mug to drink water, not not hot water, mind you, filtered through coffee beans as God intended, but normal water from the tap. They just use that all willy nilly, like it doesn't matter. Just can't. I can't even. What if that's the only cup you can find? There's other cups. Sometimes they're all Here dirty, hands. Laura. It's not always cups. <laughs> Do the dishes. Not always. Yeah, that's a good point. I have drank straight out of the tea pitcher before mm -hmm. because there were no cups clean at the time. It's a beautiful I am surrounded attribute. by men. It's <laughs> a beautiful attribute of toxic masculinity. So I'm happy about this. You, you, you asked for more masculinity. Yeah, you got it just then. I drank water out of a cup. One of my favorite <laughs> scenes in Home Improvement is when all the dishes are dirty and he takes the uh, the little cow-shaped cream dispenser thing and drinks straight out of the cow's mouth. That was hysterical. That's hardcore good right there. I know, right? He's I like a, it. He says it makes the he said that it makes the milk taste better. It's straight from the cow. Yeah. Oh no, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. You All right, women. Matt, what you got? All right, uh, not even close as, as serious as as my first point, but okay. I got a big problem with this LED headlights. Y'all are out there blinding people on the road, and some that's of y'all, some of y'all say that you get tired of getting flashed with high beams well it's because everybody thinks you got high beams all right now yep. everybody thinks your high beams are on you ought to make some adjustments and not cause people to get in wrecks i'm just saying this on you guys that's nope. dangerous i mean it is especially your old people can't see all that well anyway and then you get those things in your face i'm, I'm with you on that one that's a good one yeah i'm with matt i think that's a good one i'm okay with that being outlawed personally I'm not for a lot of government control, but I'm okay there. Yeah. Oh, so that that's mm -hmm. like your one area of I can see where where it makes sense. Okay, well, I feel like that's a legit safety issue. Yeah, yeah, I got a point. Okay. Yeah, because I can I I've almost crashed a few times, not just because I'm a female driver, but because I can't see when they do that. Like sure, those, that was why. Yes, it. <laughs> it's like one of those prison lights in your face when they're hunting for the escape yeah. convict. Yeah, they hit you right in the face and can't see anything. It's just not good. There's Maybe no that's what they're doing. That. They're looking for escaped convicts as they're driving. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> He's right. at the bounty hunter cars. <laughs> Dog the bounty hunter rides with an yeah. LED. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is my last one. And I know that this is going to surprise a lot of people, especially considering that I'm wearing an Auburn Santa hat. Matt's wearing one of my other Auburn Santa hats. You guys know I'm a big Auburn fan. Uh, went to school there, everything. But uh, spoiled Auburn fans. That's one of my grievances mm. because they ran off Bo Nix and they complained about Gus Malzahn and now they're complaining about Harson and we're never going to be good again. What's with the negativity y'all? I, here's the thing. 
I think that if you're overly negative as an Auburn fan, it's because you haven't been one long enough. Hmm. I because agree with that. I'm 32, so I'm a younger Auburn fan, but I remember the lean years. And I don't remember the super lean years, but I do remember. I do. See, now you remember the years a lot leaner than the ones I'm talking about. But I remember like pre-2000, the early Tuberville era and, and before that. Um, I think that Auburn has just had some success go to their head. And we've gotten a little spoiled and we expect to win every game. And there's Auburn fans now. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. Y'all talk like Bammers. And that drives me crazy. <laughs> when we got Auburn fans like, well, if we didn't win a national championship this year. We might as well have just not played at all. It's all ways. And no, you can have a good season without winning at all. Sure. Obviously, I want to win a national championship. That's mm -hmm. great. Everyone does. I'm thrilled that I was able to be a student at Auburn in 2010 when we won one. But don't act like if you don't win everything that the whole thing's a waste and it wasn't worth watching or anything. That's, that's a Bama fan attitude. I don't expect it because I'm 58 and I've only seen one. Hmm. There's there's not a, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, the yeah. odds against me seeing one in my lifetime are pretty, pretty remote. Mm -hmm. That's likely to happen. That's fair. So, well, I, I thought we played pretty good in the Iron Bowl. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah. It How did long has it been since we've like come that close to beating Bama? Yeah, it was it was, it was like Rocky Three, three years. Nineteen. Yeah, it's not been that long, but I know what you mean. Yeah, that's, that's the best game yeah. we played all it was year, respectful. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like Rocky one, where at the end of the day, Apollo Creed technically wins the fight, but Rocky did such a good job keeping it competitive that he was the real winner at the end. That's a yeah. good analogy. That is a very good analogy. Yeah. Suck at Apollo Creed. All right, yeah. uh, <laughs> Dad, you're up next. <laughs> okay, I hate. White men stereotypes. White conservative man here. I don't hate gay people. I don't hate all alternative lifestyle. I don't hate people because of the choices that they make. It's automatically assumed because of my biblical view of that. And, and I've been accused of this before. Well, you hate them. No, I don't. That's true. I, I've known I, I Dad my I, whole life. He hates everyone equally. That's just how <laughs> it is. Well, I used to tell him I didn't like them. Yeah, I all of them. But I don't. Uh, there are a lot of things along those lines that changes that have taken place in my lifetime, but it doesn't mean because I have a different view that I hate them. It's in your beginning every every time, right? Yeah, on your show, uh, it isn't. You know, it's not hate. Uh, no, just because you disagree with hate. Some, just mm -hmm. because you disagree with somebody or, or their action, you don't hate them because of that. I just mm -hmm. disagree with it. Yeah, that's, like I disagree with Laura about the cup, but I don't hate her. I yeah, just because she. Cup. No, I I do yeah. hate her, but it, I do hate Laura, but it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's the toxic thing. That's what puts yeah. me over the I'm kidding. I honestly, I hate you all. <laughs> You're supposed to. It's the airing of grievances. I'm so. getting you all cups. I, I want everybody to know how much they disappointed me over the year. All right, exactly. so, Laura, what's yours? Okay, women's Bible study. I know every year I hate on women in some way, form, or fashion, but good gracious people, look, I get it. I get it. I'm a stay-at-home mom now. My life is mostly consistent of taking care of my child and taking care of my home and figuring out what the crap to make for dinner. But you know what? We don't need it in our Bible studies. Women need theology just as much as men. So put some actual theology in there. Not, it's okay with God if your home isn't perfectly clean. And I swear, if I see one more coloring page in a woman's emotional <laughs> <laughs> No you one know, cares about your art skills. No Vicky, one. Vicki Murphy showed me a woman's Bible study book one time just to prove a point. <laughs> and I looked through that. Ain't enough Bible in there to save a nap. No, it's insulting. 
insulting. It's absolutely insulting. It, it, it read more like a, a women's magazine that you'd find in the checkout at a supermarket, which is another woman stereotype. So I got to work that one in. But uh, the point is, I refuse to I go to like any mean. women Bible study. I go like I mean, obviously I don't go to you know men's Bible studies in the sense of going to church, but. Um, no, I, if I'm reading a Bible study per se, I read stuff written by men lately Calvinist, not because I'm Calvinist, but because they do a respectable job. But anyway, Hey, Calvin had some good contributions. I mean, his, yeah. his theology was way off, but, um, you know, you yeah, look at yeah. his commentaries and Psalms, there's a lot of good in there, some bad in there too, but you know. don't agree with their soteriology, but the Calvinists are disciplined. I'll give them that. Right. Yeah. Eat, they're, eat they're, the fish, spit out the bones. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're, they, they, I think they're pretty good about thinking critically through a biblical lens about contemporary issues where a lot of Christians just don't really think through it a lot, you know, but they, they've come out pretty firmly against things like critical race theory. You know, they recognize it as being Marxist in nature and, and you know, contrary to a Christian worldview. So, you know, a lot of the times we find ourselves on the same sides as them when they decide to, you know, step in the fight. So that's the stuff that I read because mm -hmm. I'm a woman with a brain. <laughs> Right. In other words, you're not going to find it in a women's Bible study. No, you? you're not. You're so stupid. <laughs> I will say, I think that churches, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I think churches criminally underutilize the talents of some of our I did women. that. Because mm -hmm. sure. there are some female uh, type church people that have some theology that far surpasses their male counterparts from time to time. And I think there's some biblical precedent for utilizing that. I mean, Aquila and Priscilla would study with people like Apollos, who became a very famous part of the early church. But when it says that Aquila and Priscilla went, I don't think that means that Aquila did all the teaching and Priscilla just sat there or made cookies for it. I, I think that, you know, there was some pretty deep theological conversations coming from both of them. And I think that that's something that we ought to implement. But I think they should also make cookies for it. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's... A, and that's sandwiches. A, I didn't even have to say that. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so Matt, what's yours? What's your next one? All right, my last one is when Bama lets us think we're going to win the entire game and then decides they want to play in the last two minutes. You can't, for us poor Auburn fans, and I agree with you, there are whiners, all right? But, you know, we thought, you know, we weren't even ranked going into the Iron Bowl, and then here we come, and we are giving Bama a heck of a fight, all right? So if, if you're going to let us win or be that close to winning the, the, the entire game, you can't decide you want to show up in the last two minutes and then just smash all our hopes and dreams. It's, well, you it's could say that cool. to a lot of teams against Auburn this year because yeah. they wait until the last yeah. five minutes to mm -hmm. take the lead. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, I tell Laura, if, you know, when, when the Lord calls me home, I'm probably going to die of a heart attack watching an Auburn game because it's always down that. to the last few minutes. Right. Right. Redskins. Yeah, yeah, that too. Right, the Redskins. Formally known as Red, they're still the Redskins. They're still sorry, the Redskins. They just are. I, I'm still convinced that they changed it to the Washington football team so that everyone would continue to call them the Redskins because no one calls them the Washington. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. As a broadcaster, you can't say, well, the football team beat the Steelers today. Go football which, team, go. Which football team? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to say the Redskins. Mm -hmm. Anyway. All right. Uh, that's all I had for the airing of grievances. And now in keeping with Festivus tradition, especially since my dad's here, uh, he and I will wrestle for six hours and then Festivus will be over. <laughs> and the feats of strength. strength. Right, the feats of strength. That's the next part of Festivus. All right, seriously, though. Um, it is Christmas time, and because of that, I got uh, Dad, being a member of my family, I'll see him on Christmas Day, so I'm going to wait to give him his Christmas present. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give Matt and Laura their Christmas presents. Uh, we'll wait for Matt. Matt's taking care of uh, the youngest of the Clark clan. So baby James is over mm -hmm. here with us. It's nice. We actually get to have a, a little baby here with us with Christmas. So 
Yeah, um, our last time we were on, I was pregnant with him. Right, so actually this is his second appearance on Tactics. Grab him Hey, James. Hey, bud. James' daddy's going to hop off in a few minutes, so you got to fill in for me, okay? Yeah. Get the Daily Dose Stupid. Whenever they talk about AOC, I need you to giggle, all right? That's, hey. that's your job. Hey, and, and buddy, no spitting up on the mics. Those are expensive. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but I am going to go ahead and give you guys your Christmas present. So, Dad, if you would reach under the tree there. Yeah, reach under the tree. Right, reach under the tree. We got the tree there. And if you will grab one of those, is, it doesn't matter because it's the same yeah. one. So whoever yeah. wants it. There we go. And then there's another one under there oh, thank you. for Laura. It's under there where? It's a little Santa Claus tin. Oh, okay. I got you. Yes. I thought that was just. Is it boozy? Yeah. So you guys can go ahead and open those now. White privilege card. Yes. <laughs> wow. This card it's grants perfect. his bearer happiness and success because it is the color of your skin and not the choices you made that determine your ability to be successful. <laughs> is it bad that I'm going to use this everywhere? Oh, yeah. And, and see, here's the thing. Um, if anybody ever tells you to check your privilege, now you can just open up your wallet and go, yep, still there. Yep. <laughs> I'm totally That's using great. that. I have too many liberal friends that I'm going to have fun with on that. Yeah, so uh, your awesome. official white privilege card. Happy Festivus. Yeah, I'll hold it. All right, guys, glad you like it. And uh, Matt's actually got to cut out for a meeting here in just a minute. So bye, brother. Good to see you, man. And uh, happy Festivus, as always. But we're going to take a quick break right now, and we will be right back. We have the top five Christmas foods. We're going to go around the round table here and talk about what our top five favorite Christmas foods are. And also the yearly Dose of Stupid, the big Daily Dose of Stupid award show, and the stupidest person of the year. That is all coming up when we come back on Tactics. Speech isn't violence. Tolerance isn't love. Disagreement isn't hate. You're listening to Tactics with Caleb Cockwit. If you want to hear more, subscribe to him on YouTube, like him on Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at Tactics Radio. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. So thank you so much for being with us here on our big Festivus program. As always, we appreciate you being here. Be sure to like and subscribe. And uh, right now we have with us Laura, Dad, and James. Oh. James. Yeah, here we go. Say hi, Boogie. Hi. Hey, James. You know, this will be a great shot for the future. You'll have this. Continually. Go down in tactics history. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, shortest youngest person on the show. That's true. Well, no, he is the youngest person on the show, but not this year. He was on the show last year. True. Yeah. 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 In utero. Um, so anyway, let's go ahead and go to our top five Christmas foods. And since I went first last time, why don't we do ladies first this time? Laura, you want to start us out? Well, it's hard for me to talk about my favorite food since. As a female, it's my job to make the food. So really, I just, you know, go off of what other people want because I'm just like that. But my favorite foods are gingerbread cookies, boiled custard, which is apparently just a southern thing. I don't know. Mm. It's weird. Hmm. Dressing. What little... is boiled custard? Hold up. You don't know what boiled custard is? Literally never heard of it. Oh, that is. Just... Maybe it's not even just a southern thing. Okay. It's like, okay, it's an eggnog alternative. Well, I'm up for pretty much anything that means I don't have to drink eggnog, so that's that's a plus. <laughs> I think you'd like it. It kind of tastes like pudding, liquefied. 
more. Ooh, Joe Biden would love it. He might could actually chew that. Yeah. That's <laughs> they have it at the store, but somehow I'll have to make it for you. I do like frozen custard. I don't know if you've ever eaten at Freddy's, but they have the frozen custard thing. That's good stuff. No, I gotta try that. Yeah. Do I even know about what Freddy's it's so is? It's a restaurant in Auburn. Oh, I do not know about that. Um, it's in a few other places. It's a chain. I, I think there's one like out near Dadeville. Ah. Anyway. Yeah. Try it out sometime. Pretty good. Yeah. My others are Little Debbie's Christmas tree cakes. Okay. I the regular try. or the chocolate? The regular. I like vanilla. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm more of the chocolate. I know it's just a fudge cake in the shape of a Christmas tree. I don't care. It's delicious. I just, yeah. You can't go wrong with Little Debbie's. It's good stuff. And my last one is gingerbread Oreos, which is a thing they just did this year. I was about to say, that's a new one on me. It is really good. Hmm. And my son loves it. He keeps like grabbing it when I'm eating it and he just eats it. Yeah, I mean, he, you can right. tell he's just locked onto you right now he talking is. about it. <laughs> Did mama say gingerbread Oreos? <gasps> I love his expression. He's like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> there <Ooh>. he goes. <laughs> Dad, what were yours? Do you remember yours? Yeah, did she finish? You finish yeah. yours? Okay, good. All right, first one at Christmas. Yeah, at Christmas. Got to have my sausage balls. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can eat, you know, a tin full of them. Mm -hmm. And they always come in tins, and I always got other stuff in there with them, but I've got to have those. Uh, True Southern gentleman. Yeah. Cheese sauces. At Christmas, <laughs> you get the cheese with the, the sausage in it, then you get the other kind of cheese with the little tomatoes and stuff in it. Or the peppers. Queso, They've got yeah. like eight different kinds of cheeses that you can pick from and put, you know, uh, all kinds of things to dip them with, chips and all that stuff, corn chips and things like that. Yep. Love that. Uh, can't have a Christmas without peanut butter balls. No, yep, yep. Uh, yeah. That's one that I always get and uh, love them. That one might be on my list. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Uh, and then you got... I got gave them their own category, but chocolate candies, the chocolate pretzels, peanuts, caramels, all that stuff. They make only time of the year that women make homemade candy. You know, I'm all for doing it all year, but, oh, yeah. but do it at Christmas and I get into that and I'll snack and go by and get one and, and do that kind of thing, which is terrible for the kind of diet that I have. But. And you know, usually the women that do that are church women. Yeah. And they'll hand it out to people at church. Which is good because it makes sense. It's something that just about everybody loves. And uh, I got to say, nice that would yeah. almost be worth converting just for that. It's... Yeah, my ex-boss's <laughs> wife, he, she made some of the best tins of stuff I've ever had. Her mm. peanut butter balls are the best in the world. They I really do that are. every year. I don't know if I'm going to do she it could, this year, though. She could make a killing off of that. Well, if um, you need to get rid of some of the excess, Laura, you can always stop by my place. <laughs> I'll do it if I end up doing it this year. It's hard to cook with him. And then the Christmas cake, to me, red velvet cake. It's okay. Christmassy looking, plus I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one of my things. Uh -oh. oh, goodness. Need to quit smoking. I don't I don't think you like <laughs> the velvet cake. <laughs> For mine, I think that you're going to see a little bit of repeat between me and Dad. But one of mine is peanut butter balls. Uh, that's That's got to be one on there. So you're going to see that one. That's probably my favorite one. So that's my number one. <laughs> um, you also have chocolate oatmeal cookies. Ooh, a lot of people make those for those candy yeah, tins. Yeah. yeah. I make those a lot. Uh, my friend Nick actually puts a lot, like, extra peanut butter in the mix. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's almost like a chocolate peanut butter oatmeal cookie. Yeah. So those are always good. Those are good. Um, this is a store-bought one, which may seem a little odd because we've been talking about homemade stuff mostly. But white chocolate Oreos. 
Oh, those are, those are good. Those, those like, are pretty good. With, with the white chocolate covering them, that's yep. always good stuff. Uh, York peppermint patties. Yeah, you're a fan. You you're, are a fan. Remember when I was little bitty, I always had to have a York peppermint patty or it didn't feel like Christmas. Yeah. So I always got those in my stockings. That doesn't seem very Christmassy. I don't know, but it was this thing all year, really. Pepper, yeah. Peppermint is a thing, though. Like, it's, it's a Christmas thing. I'll give that. I'll yeah. give points there. And, uh... I'll take the homemade ones. It's just people don't tend to make those very often. No. Yeah. I've heard they make them up north more often than they do in the south. So maybe. Yankees. Yeah. One, maybe one Yankee tradition I could actually get on board with. And then finally, a Whataburger chocolate milkshake. It had to be a Whataburger in there. Yeah. Whataburger something. Yeah. Because yeah. they have the mint for Christmas and it's only available like through November and December. So I had How to have a Whataburger. That? The mint shake. Wasn't aware. Yep. We can go by and get one later if you want. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I think I've got a free one right now, so. <laughs> yeah. That makes so much sense. I, I eat a lot at Whataburger. And yeah, he does. I, 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 I a lot of burned that up when they came here. <laughs> I told Matt the other day we drove by a, by the Whataburger in Montgomery. I was like, I bet Caleb's here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I bet if we go in right now, we'll find him. <laughs> some, some of the people do know my name there. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually, uh, I went, I, I went there the first time, and I had a Whataburger shirt on, <laughs> and so all the employees thought that was funny. Did they think that you worked there? Because that is sex racist. Well, That's they're racist. I'll say this: I'm actually going to say something negative about Whataburger. They are a little slow. They take their time, and uh, I was getting pretty hungry when I was there the last time. So I just walked back there, put some fries in the oil, just started getting things moving. <laughs> I've gotten employee of the month twice there. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. So that's the favorite Christmas food. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Let us know in the comment section what your favorite Christmas food is, because of course that and the likes help us fight off the dark cyber overlords at YouTube. And that would be your Christmas present to me is to like, and subscribe. So go ahead and do that. All right. So we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to be back with the Daily Dose of Stupid Awards. This is going to be the award show for the year, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Speech isn't violence. Tolerance isn't love. Disagreement isn't hate. You're listening to Tactics with Caleb Cockwit. If you want to hear more, subscribe to him on YouTube, like him on Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at Tactics Radio. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. Now we're going to go on to the annual dose of stupid. Now you've messed it up. <laughs> You're stupid. That's right. We have the annual dose of stupid, the daily dose of stupid award. So what we're going to do is we're going to be counting down the top five stupidest stories of the year followed by our announcement of who is the stupidest person of the year. So the way that that works is we'll give you the five stories that we thought were the stupidest, and then we will give you the person who was featured in the Daily Dose of Stupid more than any others. And we're going to go ahead and, and count down the top five for the Daily Dose of Stupid. But before we do that, let's go ahead and give our honorable mentions. Honorable mention. Dad, did you have one that didn't make the top five that you thought was especially stupid? Yeah, this one was especially stupid. The since baseball is near and dear to my heart, of course. The tomahawk chop being racist and the whole thing surrounding that, all the the pomp circumstance with making that into something that's actually important for one thing, right? And taking up time, effort, and energy of people and making it into something that it's really not. 
and that's what bugs me about it is is how is that racist when it's got all the with the support from a lot of the native american people that would be if anyone was offended it would be them and it's not them right the local cherokee tribe does yeah. work with the braves so it's that's what bugged me about it it's just so utterly stupid and then on top of that the wrong people care about it mm -hmm. well i mean <laughs> hey laura i don't think you're i don't no. think your mic's on not there you go <laughs> but yeah uh I, I agree, Dad. And one of the things that was annoying about it is, of course, the guy that prompted the whole thing that was holding the sign there in Houston during game one, or that would have been game three, I think. Or no, it was it was game one. Uh, the guy that was holding the chop is racist sign, old white guy. Yeah. It's always the white people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, old white liberals, for some reason, just get off on telling minorities what they're supposed to be offended by. Sure. White liberal, liberal women, especially, yeah. for some reason. I don't know what, well, this one was a man, but here's another thing. Probably rich, because if you had tickets to the World Series, That's probably a, a rich point. guy. We talked about that earlier. Right. The cheapest one were 800 bucks a pop. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that bugs me about it is, if you actually know the history, you know it was Native Americans that introduced that to the Braves. Sure. Yeah. Because one of their players, Deion Sanders, yeah. who used to be at FSU, was the one that introduced it. Yeah. And so it was a Native American's idea to do it. And it was Native Americans that started it because when you hear the chop at Truist Park, that is a recording of the FSU marching band playing that. And so it's people that are connected with the Seminole tribe. Right. And so it's just crazy that the Native Americans are not only perfectly fine with it, they're proud of it and like it. And it's the white people that are like, no, you should be offended by that. That's racist. <laughs> Shouldn't we be like all about representing minorities? In which case, do a tomahawk chop. Absolutely. So, Laura, what did you have for your honorable mention? Mm. One of my favorite stories of the year is Ibram X. Kendi coming out <laughs> yeah. and being a complete idiot, like tweeted something that just tore apart his entire life's work. So he tweets out that uh, about all these white students that are lying on their college applications saying that they're minorities to be able to get in. Right. So if we had white privilege, why would they need to do that? Good point. That's a good point. But see, Laura, you would know that because, of course, my Christmas gift to you was the white privilege card. Uh, so yeah. you've got that now. You can that that gives you license to white splain. You know that, right? Yes, I'd like to white splain to you guys <laughs> why you should be offended. All right, there you go. Uh, but yeah, no, that was that was one of my favorites too. In fact, I considered putting it in my top five because it's just so dumb that he tweeted it out. The, the, the thing that was stupid about it is not that the story existed. It's that he tweeted it out thinking it supported his worldview when in, in actuality it torpedoes it. Because it's all about how being white is a huge advantage over minorities and you have all this white privilege means you get whatever you want. And then it turns out that the white kids are like, no, actually it's a disadvantage to be white. We'd like to be considered minorities when we're yeah, trying to get into colleges. Right. Anyway. I've heard of some really like, some white people, 4.3 GPA it still can't get into some colleges because they're white. Yeah. I, it's it's true. And uh, kind of in conjunction with that, I remember that Lauren Chin tweeted out in response to that that uh, they were looking at, I think it was Harvard's admissions, and they grouped white people and Asians together to make it look like the minorities were really disadvantaged. But if you count the Asians, it actually <laughs> makes it look not as bad. Uh Asians, you know, they just, they ruin the curve for everybody. Asians ruin everything. 
<laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's actually go into... Oh, wait. I forgot my honorable mention. Mine was Roy Johnson. So it's a local story. He writes for AL.com. I remember that he worded it in his actual story that he wrote for AL.com when we were talking about whether or not there would be a mask mandate on students for schools in Alabama. He said, sending your child, and he was talking about elementary age kids, sending your child to school without a mask is like throwing them into traffic. Do you know how many children in the state of Alabama under the age of 14 have died from COVID-19? How many? None. Literally not a single one. Basically, COVID-19 has killed less people than Alec Baldwin in Alabama. <laughs> well, under the age of 14, yes. Uh, but sure, that's the same as throwing your child into traffic, sending them in without a mask, which doesn't even necessarily guarantee that they get the virus, which has, hasn't killed anybody. But there you go. Has my child coughs. Yeah. <laughs> I, it really is basically its own separate religion at this point. So let's go ahead and do the top five. All right, so number five this year is that there were there was a leftist author out of the UK who tweeted this out, and I'll go ahead and, and read the tweet. There we go. This is Flora Gill. Someone needs to create porn for children. Hear me out. Young teens are already watching porn, but they're finding hardcore aggressive videos that give a terrible view of sex. They need entry-level porn, a softcore site where everyone asks for consent and no one gets choked, etc. So, yeah, apparently that was the big problem that we had is that it's not the porn itself is not the problem. It's just that kids are watching really hardcore porn. And what we need is porn for kids. Yeah, it's kind of like let's introduce them to light drugs to start with when they're five. Right. We don't want we don't want kids to start on heroin. So let's just, you know, give them a pack of Marlboros at age five or six. Yeah, that'll work out real good. Jesus, stay away from my kids. Showing up. <laughs> Right. Meteor outside. It was just absolutely ridiculous, though, the idea that, well, it's just that they're not watching the right kind of porn. No, all porn's bad. No exceptions. I, I make no apologies for that statement. Kids shouldn't be watching it. Adults shouldn't be watching it. But kids especially shouldn't be watching it. Mm -hmm. Number four. Number four this year was CNN's Chris Cuomo, who is saying that white kids need to die for change to take place. So we'll go ahead and watch that clip now. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. It scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you, I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Smoking that doobie that's actually legal probably in your state now, but they don't know what it was. And then the kid runs and the pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, he had a baseball game tonight. Huh? White kid, oh, big family, that house over there. Those start piling up. What is going on with these police? Oh, what? Maybe we shouldn't even have police. That kind of mania, that kind of madness, that'll be you. That'll be the majority, because it's your people. See, now, black people start getting all guns, forming militias, protect themselves. Can't trust deep state. You'll see a wave of change in access and accountability. We saw it in the 60s. That's when it changes, because that's when it's you. Yeah, so a lot of wisdom and truth bombs coming from Chris Cuomo there 
saying that, well, if we just had some white kids to get shot by police, then we'd start rolling back these ridiculous laws that, you know, we have a constitutional right for. And uh, then we'd start seeing some police reform. Um, the problem is Chris Cuomo kind of fell victim to his own ivory tower, because if you look at the statistics, twice as many white teenagers were killed last year as opposed to the black teenagers. Now, granted, there's a difference in proportionality of population, but the point is, he's like, oh, well, white kids never get killed yeah. by police officers when it's unjustified. No, that happens too. It's rare, but it's also rare for black people. It is. And don't you feel sorry for Cole? Is, is he collecting dimes now? I mean, is he going to unemployment? Last I, I heard, I, he yeah. and his brother are trying to run a subway in Brooklyn. Oh. <laughs> They can, which is great, because now they can sell sandwiches to Jesse Smollett. There you go. <laughs> and he will hold on to that sandwich for dear life, even while being threatened for you, his life. You can throw bleach on me, but he will not harm my Subway. See, Subway really is missing out on a golden opportunity there. They, he see, he should be their next Jared. Yes. It's like even, even when I was being attacked and thought I was going to die because of a hate crime, I would not let go of my Subway sandwich. <laughs> Eat fresh, even when you're being attacked. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Chris Cuomo there. And I, I love, I think probably the best part of that is at the end where he's like, oh, well, what if, you know, what will change is a whole bunch of black people start getting guns. I, I don't have a problem mm. with black people getting guns. I've helped a black guy pick out a gun once, actually. Mm. Like, not, not a problem for me. I'm not going to say, oh, maybe we should have some gun restrictions now that there's a lot of black guys with guns. I don't no, know. The whole thing's stupid. <laughs> Constitution guarantees your right to guns no matter what your color is. Yeah, let's do it. Let's give them more guns. Maybe they'll have less black-on-black -black violence. Right. There's, there's a copy of the Constitution hanging up there behind your head there, Laura. I don't remember it saying in there, uh, shall not be infringed unless it's a black dude. No, I, I've studied the Constitution pretty thoroughly, and I don't remember seeing that. Well, there you go. Anyway. Uh, I will say before we move on, it is nice that the last year's stupidest person of the year award recipient is making an appearance again this year because Chris Cuomo, of course, won that last year. So let's go ahead and move on to number three. Number three. All right. So number three on the list, AOC says that she's a planned parenthood baby. You got to love AOC. She always winds up in the top five somehow. So here she is. First and foremost, I don't want to hear a single person on this committee or outside of this committee talk about what about uh, valuing life when they continue to uphold the death penalty, when they continue to support policies that disproportionately incarcerate and lead to the deaths of black men and people throughout this country, and uphold in a an absolutely unjust medical system that exists for profit that allows people to die because they can't afford to live. In addition to that, if we want to talk about Planned Parenthood, let's talk about how many lives Planned Parenthood has saved and how many babies have been born because of the prenatal care provided by Planned Parenthood. And if you don't if you don't believe it, and if you've never met a Planned Parenthood baby, I'm happy to let you know that I am one. And that my mother received and relied on prenatal care from Planned Parenthood when she was pregnant with me. Now, I especially love this one because we happen to have a mom here in studio with us who's actually playing with little James right now off in the corner. Answer a question for me, Laura. Did you ever visit a Planned Parenthood while you were pregnant? Not at all. 
Did you ever get any kind of prenatal vitamins or anything from Planned Parenthood? No. Yet somehow James is still here. I think he's here because I didn't go to Planned Parenthood. Well, exactly. And it's so ridiculous. She's like, well, babies can't be born without Planned Parenthood. I'm like, no, I don't think that's the way that it works. No, no, pretty fact, pretty sure, right, I'm pretty sure AOC would have been born regardless of where her mom got prenatal vitamins. I, I don't know if she realizes this, but babies were being born for a very long time before Planned Parenthood existed. Sure. Or before you had prenatal vitamins. Well, that too. Uh, but just her calling herself a, a Planned Parenthood baby, I, I think pretty much anybody that's alive is by definition not a Planned Parenthood baby. That's true. But anyway. Uh, I gotta say, on this one, I just think it's ridiculous that she's trying to draw this false dichotomy and trying to say that if it weren't for Planned Parenthood, there wouldn't be all these babies being born or whatever. Um, I don't know of any pro-life person that has a problem with Planned Parenthood giving out prenatal vitamins. In fact, no. if that is all they were doing, I still wouldn't want them to receive federal funding just because I'm a libertarian. I don't think anybody should do that. But I wouldn't have a problem with Planned Parenthood. In fact, I might even donate to them if that were the case. Yeah, there's plenty of, like, pregnancy crisis centers that do that. I mean, you, you don't have to be a Planned Parenthood for that, man. No, the problem is the abortions. That's the thing we have an issue with. We just Which don't is, like people dying. Yeah, right. the, the biggest part of their income. Right. Far. Oh, yeah. It's not even close. And that's why they do it. That's why they exist. And they're going to continue to as long as the law upholds it. Well, and that's the thing, too. One statement that she made in there that was so ridiculous is she was saying, well, you're not allowed to say anything about the issue of life unless you're like going to go against the death penalty and agree with basically all the other things that I agree with and go for universal health care. And see, the funny thing is, I actually have a friend in Tennessee. His name's John DeBerry. He was the minority leader for the state of Tennessee, lifelong Democrat, been serving in the state house for 25 years. He was for all of the things that she talked about, universal uh, basic income, medication, all of that. You know what he was against? Yeah. Abortion. I do. I remember. You know what they did? Kicked him out of the party and would yeah. not fund his campaign. Oh, yeah. Because that's a litmus test. Right. So she's pretending like, well, if you just agreed with all this stuff, then we could have a discussion about abortion. But then when someone actually shows up that holds exactly all those beliefs except for the abortion, she's like, oh, I don't want to listen to you. It's, it's just a bluff. We're we're pro all the ends that she's trying to meet a better a better life. Um, we just think that part of that is not killing you before you come out of the womb, and the other side of that too is by creating a capitalistic system whereby you can actually succeed. Right. Let's just take the capitalism and and free market solutions out of it for just one second for the sake of argument. How many aborted babies get free Medicare? Uh, hmm. they don't make it. Do they? Exactly zero. How many of them get a universal basic income? None. None. How many of them get free college? None. None at all. So if we're wanting to talk about those things, if those things are a moral good, as she's saying, wouldn't more people get them if there were less people that were aborted? Sure. You would think. Anyway. All right, let's move on to number two. Number two. All right, and number two on the list, Senator Raphael Warnock of the great state of Georgia says that we don't need Jesus, I kid you not, because we can save ourselves. This was his tweet that he sent out on that one. So I'll go ahead and read it here. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, 
through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Now, I know that when Jay Leno used to do things like this, his go-to thing to say to start out with, I'm no theologian. I can't actually say that because I am a theologian. I'm in, I'm in the master's program. But I don't think you have to have a doctorate in biblical studies to know that that's not how Christianity works. No. You, you don't save yourself. Yeah. That's kind of one of the core tenets of the religion. Am I am I correct on that, Dad? It he is. actually has a master's degree it, in Bible. It is a core tenet of, of it, and that was why Jesus came to the world to save his people from their sins. Right. Uh, first and, Bible verse you ever taught me. Right. Just the first one. And uh, that's one of those principles, but uh, you have to minimize the importance of Jesus yeah. on this side. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the first thing you have to do is make him into a fable, make him into a cartoon character, make him into something other than what he actually was. Mm -hmm. And you, you have to do that to undermine all of these other things. Yeah, you almost make him into a cartoon. You do. It, he, it's a fantasy thing. He, he's almost like, and I hate to do this because you know how much I love Superman, but he's almost like Superman to where you can just continually revamp him and update him when it, whenever there's a, a new theology that comes down from the woke left and we can just remodel jesus to fit whatever that new thing is that he's almost like an empty vessel that we can fill with whatever we want yeah much like the preacher character you do right like uh, <laughs> gregory <laughs> post today honestly you could if i had a gregory post twitter account which i have not done but i've thought about doing several times you would not be able to tell that that was from uh from raphael warnock who's supposed to be a minister by the way, and not a parody from the Babylon Bee or Gregory Post or some other satire site. Yeah. Well, I personally don't have an opinion on this, both because my husband's not here and because all of my women's Bible studies just teach me that Jesus loves me because I, even though I have a messy house. So. <laughs> Wouldn't know. And now the show's come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> all right laura actually i hate that matt's not here with us because i know that this is one that he ranked as his number one and he and i both ranked this one as number one and so i was like me and matt together oh yeah anyway i just thought it was so ridiculous because somebody that's supposed to be a preacher missed like one of the very first primordial teachings of christianity that you don't save yourself that there would be no reason for jesus to come if you could save yourself anyway yeah, I think that Jesus would be like, you think I wanted to die on a cross if you could already save yourself? That was really, really painful. Yeah. Anyway. It didn't seem worth it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it was because he's also Jewish, but I, I don't know why I launched into a Jerry Seinfeld impersonation <laughs> there, but maybe it's the festivist spirit in me. I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying that Jesus probably sounded like Jerry Seinfeld? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> anyway. And number one. All right, and number one on the list. You know what? I'm not even going to intro it. I'm just going to let you listen to it. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. I'll never forget hearing that the first time. And I said to myself, they're trying to make God into a woman. Uh, this whole idea of trying to, to have a sex with God yeah. and to try to make him more human, I guess, is part of the, the reason why this is done, too, and to try to make him more feminine. And, and I suppose that's the genesis of where this comes from. 
I, I don't know. It's but. Again, all over again. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's funny is both of our top two daily doses of stupid this year were a preacher that's supposed to know the Bible. And this guy apparently doesn't even know what the word amen means. Like he doesn't realize that the it, it's not men as in the gender. No. It's just amen, which is a word that means it is so. Of course. Uh, already knew that, but that requires brain it, cells. Yeah, and it go, but it goes back to we've got to feminize it. I, I guess uh, is the, the, but we the, the way I took it. We feminized religion so much lately. Yeah, I mean it, it's ridiculous. I mean, this guy just like took it to a whole other level when he did it. But yeah, he's just a product of what was made, which is a feminized Christianity all around. Okay, so quick question: When his breath is bad and and needs a little help, does he get womentoast? I mean, are we just going to put woe in front of every time the letters M-E-N happen to appear together in a word that has nothing to do point, with gender? Yeah. Like, it's, it's just stupid. A woman hole instead of a man hole? I don't think you want to talk about that. <laughs> I might have to edit that out. That's <laughs> You well, stepped in it, Dad. I, I know what you were he talking came about. He out of one of those. <laughs> two times in my entire broadcasting career where I just lost it like that. So that was the second one. <laughs> All right. Happy Festivus. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> Seriously though, uh, it, I really do think it comes from this idea of we have to, we have to gen gender neutralize everything and, and deepen. Here's the thing. God doesn't have a sex. He, he because sex is a physical thing. Yeah. He doesn't have a physical body. Now, when he did have a physical body and manifest himself in the form of Jesus Christ, he was a male. But the character of God is neither male nor female. However, in his word, he most often uses male lingo and, and uh, uh, pronoun. I was going to say symbolism yeah. to represent yeah. himself. And I do think we should respect that. Sure. But the idea that everything must be both male and female and their... It's just ridiculous. And that was, of course, yeah. misapplied. Right. And in that case, it's With a word man, that doesn't even have a gender. gender. Yeah. But, just, meaning truly. Not. But that's the thing. They're right. so desperate to make everything PC. Right. And actually, the worst part of the prayer was all the stuff that came before it. It was not yeah. the actual not ending that. of it. That was of just course. kind of the thing that stuck out the most. Yeah, James getting just a little bit fussy there, but don't worry, we are going to keep going. James is going to go take a nap, and uh, bye, Laura, thank you so much for being on the episode, and happy Festivus to you and to all. And Dad and I are going to stick around, and we are about to announce the stupidest person of the year. 
That's stupid! You're stupid! Stop being stupid! And now it is time for that glorious time of year where we do the stupidest person of the year. The way that we tabulate this is whoever has made the most appearances in A Daily Dose of Stupid wins the award. Now, as those of you who have been watching the show know, this year I had to scale back the show quite a bit, only did one show a week, and because of that, frankly, it was a lot harder to tabulate this just because there's fewer Daily Doses of Stupid, which meant there were fewer votes. What wound up happening is there was a three-way tie. Three people that tied for the award with three appearances each. Jen Psaki, Joseph Robinette Biden, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. However, as a tiebreaker, the way that I decided who was going to be the stupidest person of the year was I decided the best way to handle it is, well, Jen Psaki is the spokesperson for Joe Biden. And so in a roundabout way, it's kind of like her incidents of saying something stupid are at least adjacent to his. And so by that effect, I just went ahead and named Joe Biden stupidest person of the year. So for the first time in the history of the show, a sitting president has been named Stupidest person of the year, congratulations, Joseph Robinette Biden. So, that makes sense to me, based on your criteria. Sure. But I don't think anybody on the planet can outdo AOC. Yeah... I will say, out of you'll notice that none of Joe Biden's stories made the top five. Yeah, but one of AOC's did, and another one came in sixth place. So she yeah. came close to having two on the top yeah, five. Yeah, which. Uh, but this is a measurement of quantity, yeah, not quality. I've got. You. I I agree that AOC's incidents of stupid are more fantabulous. Yeah, as she would say, than uh, Joe Biden's. But Joe Biden had quite a few dumb moments. See, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I don't think that's fair to the president. You don't? No, I don't, because it's obvious the man has some challenges that he really can't help. I know he's in the White House. I know he's the president. I know he's the most powerful person on the planet as you weigh people out. Right. But still, he's challenged. And when you're challenged like that, do you really, you know, we don't blame children for things that they're not... <laughs> We don't blame them for things that they're not aware of and are not able to, they don't have the maturity or the intellect to be able to be in control of themselves because of their immaturity, because of their, their brain development. Well, now I will point but this we out, with, though. But Biden's the same way in many instances. You could certainly make that argument. I, I don't disagree with you. However, I will point this out, and I think that this is the reason that it's fair to award him the Daily Dose of Stupid Award. It's because the things that I marked him down as saying is stupid were things that were not because of his mental decline. Okay. Because it would be one thing if we were just pointing out gaffes, like him calling Satchel Page the, and I promise, I'm just quoting the president here, YouTube, don't ban me. He referred to him as the great Negro. Yes. Like, that wasn't a daily dose of stupid because that's just a slip of the tongue. That's not actually something that was dumb. Now, him saying that black people are not smart enough to hire a lawyer yeah. to defend themselves, that's a stupid thing. That's yeah. not just like a mental lapse. And so uh, I understand what you're saying, but if you look at the three incidents and also Jen Psaki's three incidents that we bring up, that's not really something you can just chalk up to him you know, being in a mental fog where the only thing that he can concentrate on for more than 20 seconds is a cup of pudding. Yeah. 
I, so I do think it's actually so you're giving this time. partial credit to him for peppermint patty. See, I don't like the fact that we're calling Jinsaki peppermint patty because I actually like peppermint patty. Yeah, I do too. Actually, she was. Hilarious. I mean, she is kind of a butch lesbian, but she's a likable character. Yeah, she is. Her and Sir. Yeah. You know, she and Marcy are definitely a lesbian Mar- couple. Marcy, That's... Yeah. But uh, you know what's sad is back then we didn't even think of it that way. It wasn't even. That's just a character that Schultz made up. That, yeah, and that's the thing. They are, they weren't. I'm obviously just making a joke there. Sure. But I will say, I do get annoyed since we're talking about stupid things anyway. You and I were actually talking about this before lunch. Yes. That now it's gotten to the point to where everything has to be gay. Like Captain America. Well, he's good friends with Bucky. That must mean that they're a gay couple. No, they're not. They're just best friends. Yeah. They, he was a soldier in the 40s. Do you think that was going on back then? Well, a lot less, that's for sure, because it had not become a fad. Yeah, well, definitely not with two dudes in the military that were no, in, that's, that's in the foxholes. Looked not down upon at that point. Right. Yeah, that kind of thing. But Plus, he's slept with like a lot of women. So I yeah, don't, that's, <laughs> that's true. Too. I have evidence of the contrary on that one. But back to the president. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's programmed with what he's supposed to say. They protect him very, very well. Mm. Imagine what it would be like if they turned him loose and just let him say whatever he wanted to say. I actually really wish they would do that, not yeah. just because it would be political gold for the Republicans, but primarily just because the sheer entertainment value. Well, they've never hidden a, a presidential candidate like he was hidden. And that's part of the protective process for the president because they are so afraid that he's going to say something. That is one of the reasons that I have said to people over and over again, and I know that they mean well by it, but Trump supporters, they use this argument all the time, and it's a dumb argument. They're like, oh, it's not possible that Joe Biden legitimately won the presidency because, you know, Trump would draw 20,000 people in a cornfield where Joe Biden would have six random people that didn't even realize that an event was going on show up to his. Now, that is true. But the thing is, they were specifically trying to hide Joe Biden, and so they didn't invite big crowds to those things. Yeah. Now, they did it under the guise of COVID restrictions, and they wanted to be COVID safe. But really, what they were trying to do was the same strategy KIV uses, which is don't talk to any voters before Election Day. Yeah, just be as quiet as possible and let us run the commercials, and we'll we'll dictate uh, the message. Right. And And – you, you'll win if you don't make many mistakes. Yeah, perfect example of that. Joe Biden was saying that it was just a junk report and fake news that they were going to give $400,000 to illegal immigrants for family separations. And he told the journalist that, no, you're just making that up. And then later, like three hours later, Joe Biden's staff comes out like, no, the president's fine with that. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you can tell the guy's being handled. Yeah, he is being handled. He, he can't process new information. Like, he, he still thinks of himself as being the guy that he was probably 15, 20 years ago, because that's the last time he remembers anything. Yeah. And so because of that, when someone says something that 1995 or 2005 Joe Biden wouldn't have supported, he thinks that that's still his position. When he doesn't realize his staff is actually the one setting the policy. Yeah. If you ever get any opportunity about the president, one of the best things that has been done on him is an impersonation by Rich Little. You ever get the opportunity to see that? It's absolutely hilarious. He's one of the greatest of all times. And he captures Joe Biden very, very well in some very uh, easy way. It's not voice. It's the way he reacts and the way he moves around and everything. Come on, he's man. got him on. Yeah, he's got him 
uh, spot on, I think. Well, you know, I'm a little bit of an person, not not to his level, but I, I do some impersonations myself. Have I shown you my Joe Biden before? No, you haven't. All right, here we go. Watch it. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's my Joe yeah. Biden. Yeah, right. but he's better that way. <laughs> See, I don't have a problem with him going to sleep, taking a nap. I wish he would, you know, get started in the morning at 9, take a lunch, or an early lunch at 11, and take a two-hour nap at 2, and See, we're much better off. I, normally, I'd agree with you. And that was one of the reasons when Hannity would talk about Obama taking golfing trips like, Hannity, shut up, man. We, <laughs> I want him on the golf course as much as possible. But with Joe Biden, because it's his staff running everything, I honestly don't know that that makes a difference. I think he's kind of doing the same stuff regardless of whether yeah. he's asleep or, or not. Because his staff is really the one doing everything. So Joe Biden, stupidest of the year? Stupidest of the year that it, for 2021. So th this is the fifth year we have done this. He is now the fifth winner and the only sitting president to ever win this award. So congratulations, Joseph Robinette Biden. Yeah, pray for the president. <laughs> for sure. All right, let's go on and go to the chaplain's report. In 1775, the Continental Congress created the Chaplain Corps. Under the command of General George Washington, each soldier was required to attend worship service every Sunday. While other armies advanced on their feet, Washington's troops advanced on their knees. It's time for the Chaplain's Report with Caleb Colquitt on tactics. And Chaplain's Report today is going to continue our series in 1 Samuel so for those of you, because we did take a break for the holidays, we did one on Thanksgiving. And so for those of you who may not remember where we were last time in the story, what has happened is that David has been hanging out, hiding from King Saul, hiding out in the high mountains, and he runs across a guy named Nabal. And because he and his men have been there helping his men with the labor, helping protect the flocks and the sheep because he's a, a shepherd, He's been there working with his men and his hired hands and workers trying to keep his flock safe because, you know, they're around and, and they do so. And then David asked for something in return, a little hospitality, take care of the, the men, make sure they have enough food, that kind of thing. And Nabal just flat out says no. Uh, Nabal just straight up refuses, actually throws some shade at him, doesn't want him around and says, I don't even know who you are. Get out of here, that kind of thing. And so that's important to note because it is going to play into the end of the story because we saw what happened last time we left is that one of Nabal's own servants goes not to Nabal, but to Abigail, his wife. And the reason he went to his wife is because he thought he would get basically a fairer hearing from his wife that she'd actually pay attention to him. The servant actually acknowledges there Nabal doesn't listen to anybody. He's not going to listen to me. When he finds out that David is really upset about this, it's not going to be something that affects him. And, and this guy is ready to go to war. And we see David is now, because he's been not only denied you know, what he actually did help produce, but more importantly, he's been insulted. And this being in an honor culture is, is a very serious offense. The fact that he's been denied hospitality, he, he's ready to take out Nabal and everybody in his company. And so the servant goes with this news, not to Nabal, because he doesn't trust Nabal. He goes to Abigail because he knows that she's trustworthy and level-headed and will actually do something about it. As he states, when he talks to Abigail about this, about what's going on with David. And so what happens is, 
after that takes place, where we pick up in the story, Abigail gets everybody together and everybody that's under her charge and gets together some baked goods and some food and some fruit from the land and that kind of thing. And they all get together and she is ready and packs all of this up and brings it to David and brings it to his company and the, the band of soldiers that he's running here. And that's really where our story picks up. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 25, verses 23 through 31. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face in front of David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame. And please let your slave speak to you and listen to the words of your slave. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and stupidity with him. But I, your slave, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives, as your soul lives, since the lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, may your enemies and those who seek evil against my lord be like Nabal. And now, let this gift which your servant has brought to my lord be given to the young men who accompany my lord. Please forgive the offense of your slave, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all of your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, with the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And the Lord does for my Lord in accordance with all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel. This will not become an obstacle to you, or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause, and by my Lord's having avenged himself, when the Lord deals with well with my Lord. Then remember your slave." There's several things to unpack in the speech that Abigail gives there when she runs into David, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to note here that I think we should especially zero in on. One is she took blame for something that was definitely Nabal's fault. Now, she does say in there that she was unaware of the situation going on, but she says, nonetheless, this is my fault. I want you to think about this. Now, Nabal should have done something, and he also should have acknowledged David when he requested some hospitality, and he also should have been the one that got in touch with his wife if he wanted her to do all of these things. He didn't, and he did not want to do these things. When offered that opportunity, he shunned it away hard, slammed the door right in David's face. Like It wasn't just that he rejected him. It's that he did so specifically with insult and with malice. He didn't just, it wasn't enough to just deny something to David. He actively wanted to insult him on the way out, cause as much pain as possible. This is a very malicious, evil person. And yet, despite all of that, and despite that being Nabal's problem that he had to deal with, what does Abigail do? She takes the responsibility. She says, David, this is my fault and my fault alone. 
Now, there's a couple different ways you could look at this, but I think part of that was because as a wife, as the woman that is in charge of the household, she saw hospitality as something that was chiefly her responsibility. Now, that's not to say that men do not also bear the responsibility of hospitality as well. Nabal should have taken care of this, like I said. In fact, there are several biblical examples, including Abraham, of men extending hospitality to guests and extending hospitality to those of goodwill. But Nabal didn't do that. Nevertheless, Abigail says, you know what? I'm going to take the blame for this one. I'm going to take responsibility. That's the man's job. He's the one that is in charge of taking responsibility. A good man will shield his wife from this kind of blame. But Abigail took on the blame herself of her own free will because her husband failed to do so. He failed the role of leader and head of the household. He's supposed to be in charge of all that, and he did the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And because of that, Abigail goes not outside of her role, but certainly above what her role would require if she had a godly man leading her in the head of her, her household. She did not. And so because of that, and because she was in a bad situation, she took that responsibility on herself. She shouldn't have had to, but the point is the godly thing to do in that situation, once it was already taking place, she made the godly decision. And that happens to a lot of people in a lot of situations when it comes to trying to serve God. There's a lot of times where we really shouldn't be in a situation if everybody was behaving the way that God intended. However, we wind up having to make a tough decision regardless. Because something has happened that put us in a not favorable position, we had to opt to do something that we wouldn't have normally had to do, but the godly decision is still to do the right thing. And that's what Abigail recognizes here, and that's what she does. And, you know, th there is a little bit of stroking the male ego here. I, I don't think that anybody reading this story would deny that, because remember, the insult that Nabal flung forward is one, and he, he knew who David was. There was nobody in Israel at this point who didn't know who David, the son of Jesse, was. He wasn't king yet, but he was a very famous person. People were singing, literally, this is part of the story, literally singing his praises in the streets about how he's slain 10,000 Philistines. And so he's a very, very famous person at this point. There's authorities running around looking for him. And Nabal goes out of his way to insult him and says, who is this David and who is this son of Jesse? Basically, get on out of here. I don't care about you. I don't care who you are. You're nothing to me. That's what he's actually saying. What does Abigail say? She not only says that David has, has acted correctly. She doesn't only show a ridiculous amount of humility, probably more than was necessary. And she not only acknowledges the good work that David has been doing for them and her family personally, but she also talks about his past, his history. She talks about the slings of his slingshot. What's that a reference to? Well, obviously, it's a reference to something that happened earlier in David's life when he slew the giant Goliath. And so there's a little bit of stroking the ego here, and that's really not a bad thing. Now, you don't need to be insincere. You don't need to flatter people under false pretenses or just to get what you want. But Abigail saw this as something that was necessary to kind of undo the stupidity of her husband. Like he was trying to, to go out of his way to insult David. She goes out of her way to kind of flatter David and counteract that. And so she's doing the exact opposite of what her husband was doing. And I want you to notice something else here too. And this is probably something that doesn't need to be stated for the 2000 
plus years that the New Testament has been around and about the 3,000 years since this has happened. Uh, most people place David's kingship at somewhere around uh, 1,000 BC. So this story has been around for about 3,000 years. And, and sadly, this is probably one of the first times, the first eras in human history where this is needed to be brought up, but it shows how timeless God's word is. Do you notice something interesting about Abigail being a woman in this situation? She did counteract the stupidity of her husband, but she did so utilizing her feminine qualities. She didn't deny it. She didn't try to cast it aside. She didn't try to behave and act like a man or look like a man or any of that. No, no, no. She embraced her femininity. She embraced the, the body and the role that God has placed her in as a woman and uses those qualities to diffuse the situation. Because what happened is she found herself in the middle of two hot-headed men acting irrationally, David and Nabal. Now, Nabal's the, the worst of the two, but it doesn't matter. These two people were about to engage in something very evil. They were about to engage in bloodshed, and this is something that Abigail brings up in her speech. And she, being a woman, steps in, says, you're both being ridiculous. You know, David, you're about to kill innocent people because your pride has been offended. And that's something she brings to his attention. She does so very humbly. She does so acknowledging that you, you are the guy that fights the Lord's battles. You are a representative of the Lord. And you know what? God is going to set up your house to rule over Israel. Do you really want to start out your tenor as the king like this? Is this the person that you want to be? You see, Abigail is playing the role of the anima. She is the mirror upon which David's character is reflected. And that's something that women are better at doing than men. They just are. They always have been. That is the role that women play for us. Now, I could go through an existential romp through biblical history and show how this has always been true. Literally since the beginning, Eve plays that role to some degree in the creation story. We can see it again with Sarah. We can see it with the other female patriarchs, The uh, which, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but you know the, the matriarchs of the... Jewish culture, the ones that are married to the patriarchs, they play that role to a great degree. That's what the female is. And I mean, you could do it as something as serious as biblical narratives, or you could look at, you know, for example, Nala and the Lion King. Women have played this role in narratives throughout human history. You know, Simba thinks he's doing pretty good at hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa and just, you know, goofing off and eating bugs all day. And then Nala shows up, he's like, you're worthless. This is not the person that you are. I see the king that you could be, and you're not living up to it. That's exactly what Abigail does here. She shows up to David's front door and says, you're not being the person that God means you to be. She doesn't necessarily say it in so many words, and she does it with a little bit of flattery and, and explaining that she actually does believe David is a good man who fights the Lord's battles and is better than he is currently acting. And that's really the role that she plays here. And because she embraced her femininity and embraced her role as a woman dealing with two hot-headed men, she's able to diffuse the situation. We'll see how this story ends up here in 1 Samuel 25, 32-35, which reads, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, 
there certainly would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. I really love this story because of the players and the interplay here. Do you notice something that David said at the beginning? You know what? You're right. You kept me from shedding blood today. You kept me from making a huge mistake. You made me realize this. Now, is David somebody that just goes around killing random people who have offended him? No. We just read a story a couple chapters ago where he had the opportunity to kill Saul, his mortal enemy who has been seeking his own life, trying to kill him, trying to do him harm. And yet, despite that, he's about to go kill a random stranger who, granted, offended him and didn't do what he should have done, but that's a little different than actively going out and trying to murder him, which Saul did, and he spared his life. And so what this does is, and Abigail placing it in these terms, it forces David to do a, a gut check. He has to step back and go, you know what? This isn't really reasonable. This is not what God would want me to do. And I was about to kill a whole bunch of innocent people that really had nothing to do with this just because I had a tiff with one person. And David is remorseful and he says, it must have been God that sent you to me. And you know what? He's right. I'm not saying that God directly as a voice sent down into Abigail that, hey, you need to go bring these things to David, because I don't think that's what happened at all. I don't think that the scripture portrays that at all. I think what happened is exactly what was supposed to happen, which is God put inside Abigail through teaching, through admonishing, through encouragement through the years, a spirit that wants to do what God wants her to do. And the same thing happened to the servant that actually went to her and trusted her and said, you're the one that needs to take care of this because Nabal ain't going to do it. So I think that God, through his providence, is working through these people. And whether he did it directly through his influence, you know, maybe gave him a little nudge, or whether he just instilled good values and a good conscience in these people to put them in the right positions at the right time, I have no idea. I don't know how God did this, but the point is he did it, and David acknowledges God's role in that, which is exactly what he should have done. And this forces David to take a step back and go, you know what? I've acted incorrectly. I let my pride get the better of me. And I let my wrath just sort of go out of control because of my pride. And so he says, because of that, the Lord must have sent you and I'm going to listen to the Lord. That's a pretty profound thing that he realizes there. I think it's important that Abigail, through humility, hospitality, and responsibility, was able to cool down the situation. And then David acknowledges his own folly, his own flaws, that he has messed up here. And I think that that's something that required a, a good deal of humility on his part as well. He says, eh, I probably shouldn't let my pride lead me to murder random people. <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb, by the way, if you're out there listening. But I think that this really illustrates the difference between David and Nabal. Because as I said a couple lessons ago, when we looked at David's initial reaction, Nabal's a bad guy. David's also a bad guy. They are both acting incorrectly and out of step with what God would have them do. Now, did Nabal put David in that situation? Sure. But does that excuse David's behavior and reaction to it? No, it does not. David, of his own accord, did this. And yet, when God sends Abigail a messenger to tell him, look, you're not acting the way that I want you to act, David takes a step back and goes, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I messed up. 
I'm not going to go through with this. That's what a good man does, and that's what sets David apart from Nabal, because both acted incorrectly initially, but the difference is when the Lord offers some correction to David, David takes a step back and goes, you know what, Lord? You're right. I'm sorry. I screwed up. Nabal wasn't going to. We've already seen that from Nabal's character. And so what we have now is a contrast between these two. We can choose to either be a reactionary like David, and when we do overreact and when we do mess up, we, we choose to instead go with what God would have us to do and correct ourselves, or we can be like Nabal, who's so stubborn and pig-headed that we just stay on our course regardless of whether someone brings up, hey, you're not doing this the way that you should. You know, it reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, we talk about progressive and we talk about who is the most progressive. He says, but the thing is, sometimes the most progressive thing a person can do is if they are on the wrong track, if they are going down a pathway that is the wrong pathway, the most progressive man is not the one that continues down the wrong pathway. It's the one that turns around and heads in the other direction. Now, that would seem not progressive to the person that's walking backward. But if you took a wrong path, the most progressive person is the one who's actually going backward so that he can find the right path. And that's exactly what's happening here. David was on the wrong, wrong track. So was Nabal. The difference is Nabal saw the other path and goes, no, thank you. I'm going to stay the way that I am now. David says, yeah, I should adjust my behavior here. I, I screwed up. And that's the difference between these two. So I guess, and this is a good time of year where everyone's focused on being men of goodwill and, and trying to focus on being a better person. This is a good time of year to bring this up because you really, I think a lot of us kind of go back and forth between being a David and being an Abigail. Because a lot of times when put in a bad situation where people are acting that are in a way that is not in accordance to God's will, we have the option of either being an Abigail, meaning we're the person that hasn't done anything wrong, but we need to step up and take responsibility for maybe not heading this thing off earlier, or maybe not being aware of the situation beforehand. You know, maybe we didn't, we honestly didn't know, just like Abigail honestly didn't know, but we should have known. We should have been paying more attention. And so we step up and we correct lovingly. We correct our brother or sister that has gone astray and say, through a lot of humility, a lot of compassion, and not trying to berate them as an evil person that's lost and we cut them out of our life and they're dead to us. That, that's not the right way to handle it. We go up to them and say, look, there's some good qualities here. You can be better than this. God designed you to be better than this. He wants you to be better than this. We can be the Abigail in that situation. Or if we're the person that has been wrong, when faced with that correction, we can bow up, we can get defensive, we can lash out at the person that's making the correction and pointing out that we have acted incorrectly. David could have done any of those things, but he didn't. What he chose to do instead was be the progressive man and turn around and change his ways and learn from it. That's what God wants for his children. You know, Instead of doing things our way, we surrender our will to God and do things his way because we understand in the end that's actually going to work out better for us. And David had learned that through years of experience. So when faced with this correction, David said, you know what? The Lord's way is better. My way is not. And so since the Lord was gracious enough to send me this woman to remind me of what God would actually want me to do and how he would actually want me to behave, 
I'm going to start behaving differently. When confronted with a brother or sister in Christ that has a good point and is actually saying there's some things here you need to work on, that may be God talking to us, just like David acknowledged here. We need to listen to that. So don't shoo it away. Actually take it to heart and choose to make a change because sometimes, just like he did in this story, God acts through people you don't necessarily expect. So that's going to be our Festivus episode. Thank you so much to all of my guests, Dad, Matt, James, and Laura. And thank you so much for being here with us. We're going to be back for another episode after the first of the year. No shows until after New Year's. But we'll be back and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay the course, friends. Thank you for listening to the Tactics Podcast. Tactics is a production of Not Ashamed Media. Any opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our business partners or sponsors. Graphics by Jessica Dawson. Video production by Jackson Dean. Broadcast studio provided by Faulkner University. Location studio provided by Delreda Church of Christ. Copyright 2021.